turn together to the book of Titus, chapter 3. Some of you who may be visiting us this morning may be surprised that we're not turning to Matthew 1 or Luke 2 or even John chapter 1. But God in His graciousness provides for an opportunity to see something here on Christmas Day that is essential to the story of Christmas. We're going to be looking this morning specifically at Titus 3, verses 4 through 8. We're going to be looking at the story of being justified by grace. And so if you would please give attention to God's holy word. It is completely without error. It is sufficient. It is authoritative. It is the living Word of God. Let's begin by looking at Titus 3, verse 1, and reading through verse 8. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for all people. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's ask for his blessing upon it by going to him in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are indeed the God and King of all. That you are just and the justifier of the ungodly. We ask this morning, Lord, that you would remind us of all that you have done in Jesus Christ. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we have been looking these last few weeks at the subject of grace. We looked at the concept of the authority of grace and how God's word in the gospel comes to us in an authoritative fashion, that it is not something that we can pick and choose from. It is a command to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we looked last week at the gentleness of grace and how as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to be gentle in our associations with others. We are to be kind, 
courteous and good to others. A picture of the gospel to the world. Now this week we are looking at justification by grace. And we may ask ourselves, why all the emphasis on grace? What is the big deal about grace? What caused Paul to go all around the known world preaching and teaching about this grace? What caused Titus to give up his home and to live among the Cretans, a people known for their wicked behavior, simply to tell them about grace? What about all of the missionaries who go out and have gone out throughout history to various places, risking their lives to tell others about the grace of God that appeared in the Lord Jesus Christ? Perhaps you, like me, have even seen stories just this past month. Pastors, people, men, women, and children who have given their lives to hear about grace, to talk about grace. What is the big deal with grace? The big deal with grace is that grace is the gift of God to a people who are not only undeserving, but who have downright forfeited any blessing from God. We have sinned against the King of Heaven. We have disobeyed Him. We have sought our own way. And while we were running as fast as we could in the opposite direction, the Scripture tells us that God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you and I might know about grace. This is critically important, and this morning we're going to spend a few minutes thinking about how grace comes into our lives. The first thing we will see is our need of grace, that we are in need of grace. The second thing we will see is that we are recipients of grace. And the third thing is that we are blessed by grace. We are in need, we are recipients. And we are blessed. Let's begin then by looking at our need of grace. It actually begins a bit before our text here that we're focusing on in chapter 3, verse 4. It's part of the reason we read the earlier part of the chapter. Paul begins by giving us God's message. It's a message that we need more than any other at Christmas time. It's a message that isn't pretty. It's a message that isn't joyful or happy. It's the message of who we were. It's a message of who we are apart from Jesus Christ. And you see that Paul points us there in the beginning of verse 4 with one little tiny word. But. But what, Paul? Well, let's look back. Who were we? We were foolish. We were disobedient. We were led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures. We were passing out days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. 
exactly the sort of person that you would like to attend a Christmas party with. Isn't that true? Don't you just love to be around others and hate them and have them hate you? Of course not. But that's who we were. Paul puts it another way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is who we were. We are a people in need of saving. Jesus Christ came because we are a people in need of Jesus. The very first thing you must know on Christmas is that. It is that you need Jesus. That's why He came. He didn't come because He needed the glory. He didn't come because He needed the kingdom. He didn't come because He needed the people or the praise. He came because His people needed Him and His forgiveness. Because you see, Paul encourages us on this Christmas morning. After telling us how bad things were, he finishes that passage in 1 Corinthians 6 by saying, And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You see, you are and were worse than you thought, but praise be to the Lord that He has made provision in Jesus. Because our need of grace describes for us not only who we were, but it describes for us who God is. Look with me at verse 4 of Titus 3. It's what follows that little word, the but. You were this way, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. You see, we are reminded who God is. And first and foremost, that God is good. This word for goodness is a very interesting word. It's found in another very famous passage in Romans chapter 3, verse 12. Many of you know it well. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. You see, God is like no one else. No one else does good. No one else is good but God. Don't ever let that but out of your vocabulary. Don't ever let that but out of your mind. When the evil one comes aside and tells you you're a horrible father, a wretched mother, a disobedient child, a bad spouse, a horrible lazy worker, remember the but. That God is good. And His goodness is found manifested to His people. And that He builds up His people through Jesus Christ. There is goodness found in God. And because God is good, there is good in the world. You see, 
But God is a very famous phrase in the Bible. Paul uses it in another very famous passage, Ephesians chapter 2, where he talks about our wickedness and being dead in sins. And in verse 7 he says, In the coming ages, God, that He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace, He showed them in kindness toward us. And He showed them in a very specific and particular way. In Christ Jesus. You see, God is good and He shows His goodness to us in Jesus Christ. Peter describes the goodness of God in a very interesting way, especially this time of year. One of my favorite things to do this time of year, you may be surprised, is to eat. And this is a real challenge because there is a wonder of meals, savory foods, but the challenge is to take that all in and save for the cookies and the cakes and the candies. And then not to overdo that because of the snacks that must come in between the meals. And you see, as I'm talking about this right now, visions of your favorite cookies are going through your heads. And if you're like me, you have a little bit of saliva. Because you're getting hungry, right? You see, that's how God is to the Christian. Peter says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you drool over God? I know that may sound a bit inappropriate. But is your longing for the Lord Jesus Christ so much that as He is mentioned, visions of His power and His glory go through your head, visions of the forgiveness of sins and of your faith in Him that you long to be with Him? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. God is good in Jesus Christ. But He also manifests Himself in His loving kindness. This is also a very interesting word. It's a word that many of us know. Translated or transliterated, it is the word philanthropy. Now you know that word. As soon as I say that, you think of billionaires and millionaires and foundations and schools. But what philanthropy really means is love, but love manifested in a very particular way. Love toward men. Love toward people. Love for sinful people that do not deserve that love. Do you view God that way in Jesus Christ? You see, Paul gives us another example that we can hang on to. We think about philanthropists building schools and hospitals for people in places who are without hope and who have done nothing to deserve them. That's how God is with His people. He is the one who builds up hope. He is the one who gives when we do not deserve. This is part of the nature of God. He has goodness And he has loving kindness. But we also see in verse 5 that he is active and alive. It's a very simple phrase. He saved us. It's a phrase that is becoming a bit passe in the world today. 
We don't like to talk about saving. We use all kinds of other words to describe church and Christianity because we don't want to pressure others with saving because after all, saying that God saves us reminds us that we are lost. And we don't like that. We like to be in charge of our lives. We like to know we have it all together. And with perhaps just a bit more income, a few lucky breaks, we can take care of ourselves. But that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that God is active in our lives, that He is the one who saves. As you think about that this morning, I want you to remember that this is not an easy activity that God took up. Jesus Christ came to be born a man under the law, under the law that he created. There was an expression of his being as the second person of the Trinity. And he entered into a world in which he was weak physically. He was poor He was looked down upon by others. He was subject to all of the sin that surrounded him. And he lived a life of perfection. Never being angry without cause. Never lying. Never stealing. Never taking the Lord's name in vain. And he died a death that he did not deserve. And this was all for his people. If you have come to the place where you can call yourself Jesus's, then praise the Lord that his character is such that he is active and willing to take up the cost. And if you are here this morning not sure quite about who Jesus is, You've heard the stories of the baby in the manger. You wonder what color the swaddling cloths were. You wonder what animals were in the barn. But you're not quite sure who Jesus is. Then this morning you need to know that Jesus Christ, the one who took upon himself all that cost, that he is the God of the universe. He is good. He has loving kindness and He is active today. Jesus did not stop saving years ago. We talk about being a post-Christian culture. And that may be. But we are not a post-Jesus world. Even if we have come to the place where Christmas is not exactly front and center in the malls or amongst the parties, where the holidays, where the winter time has taken over, you need to remember that Jesus Christ is still present. He's still active. He still saves today. It is not too late. He saves. This is something that we are in need of. We can't make it on our own. And if we are honest with ourselves, and I ask you this morning to be honest with yourself, you know you are not perfect. There may be some that think you're pretty close. But you know in your heart of hearts that you fall short, that you're not always patient, that you're not always kind, that you're not always generous. 
that you get angry. That you take things that don't belong to you. That you say things that make yourself seem better and others seem worse. You need to know that Jesus Christ has come for you. And that you can be a recipient of that grace that Jesus brings. Paul describes it in two wonderful ways here. In verses 5 and 6 and 7. He says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The very first thing that Paul reminds us is that it is not by works that we are saved. Paul has to begin there because that is where we begin. We tend to start with our own works. I have to apologize this morning because I have to disabuse you of perhaps a well-beloved Christmas story. It's the story of a man, of a man and some ghosts, and a tiny man named Tim. And it's a beloved story of a man named Scrooge, who at the beginning of the story, everybody just loves to hate. And then as he is scared by these ghosts, he realizes the error of his ways, and he begins to lavish goodness on everyone, buying the prime goose buying gifts, giving days off, and being a changed man. And I need to tell you that Scrooge is impossible. Scrooge is a lie. Now, not that people can't change. Not that you can't buy the biggest goose. Not that you can't say, God bless us, everyone. But the fact of the matter is, is there is no real-life Scrooge. There is no man who decides to himself, you know, I think I want to be different. So I'll make myself different. That's about as foolish as thinking about a baby that says, you know what, I think I'll be born, and I'll pick my parents. You see, that's how Jesus describes for us being right with God, receiving grace. He describes it as being born again. And there's a reason why he does. Because we all know babies don't have any power in the being born. Right, moms? Moms, remind your kids, especially when they've misbehaved a little bit, of all the work that they went through in birth. And you see, we need to be reminded of that with grace. That we don't bring something to God. Paul says it is not by works that we have done, and we need to remember that it is not works that we have done in the past that cause God to look upon us and smile and say, you know, I really like the way he carries himself. She is just a peach of a person. You know, I think of all the people in all the world they're just the nicest people and they deserve saving. No. But in the same way, you need to be reminded 
that God does not look upon you today, even in Christ, look upon you and say, oh, I'm so proud of that person. I'm so glad they can just carry on the Christian life and they don't need any help from me at all. That they've got it all together. Perfect marriages, perfect kids, perfect clothes, perfect stewardship. I'm just so glad that they can carry their way. You see, Paul says, it's not at all by works that we have done. We need to be reminded that there is absolutely nothing that we can do to be right with God. There's nothing we can do because we're not righteous. Do you see what Paul says? It is not by works done by us in righteousness. And this is also a place where we turn. We tend to make ourselves right, don't we? Have you ever had a conversation with a couple about a problem that they had on the highway or with a store clerk? And you hear from one person in the couple about how it was all this other person's fault. And if they had only known what they were doing and how they were trounced upon and they were cut off and they were dealt badly but they but I was just I was kind I knew what I was doing if I didn't hold my temper who knows what would have happened and all the while that that conversation is going on the person next to them is trying as hard as they can not to break out laughing because they say yeah that person did cut you off Because you cut them off a mile down the road. Yes, that clerk was upset with you because you yelled at her when they ran out of what you wanted. You see, we tend to think of ourselves and paint ourselves in a way in which we are righteous. Have you ever met a child who at first blush declared that they were wrong, that they had disobeyed? They were not deserving of that gift or that dessert. I haven't. I haven't met any 30 or 40 or 50 year old children like that either. You see, we tend in our hearts to think that we are righteous. And Paul says, the Lord says, you must put that aside. You're not as right as you think you are, you're not in control. Your works are not something that gets you right before God. We are not righteous by works which we have done. Paul tells us something else that we need to hear on this Christmas day. Christianity is not primarily about doing. Now there is plenty of doing in Christianity. Titus has been telling us to do all sorts of things. But it is not primarily about doing. You see, Christianity, being right with God, is about receiving, not doing. It's about being passive, not active. It's about Jesus coming down to us, not us going up to Him. It's about Jesus going to the cross for us, not we going to the cross for Him. You see, it is not about what we have done. It is about what God has done in Christ Jesus. And we need to remember that this time of year, don't we? Because, again, we tend to bind up ourselves. We talk about Christmas and we talk about the birth of our Lord and what comes front and center. 
how good we are and what gifts we give. How smart we are in knowing what other people would like. How well we decorate our homes. How well we cook. How kind we are to others. And the problem is these things tend to crowd out Jesus. There's nothing wrong with decorating well. There's nothing wrong with cooking well. There's nothing wrong with listening to what other people desire and would make them happy. But don't let them crowd Jesus out of your Christmas. Because you see, that's what Christmas is all about. It is not by works, but it is by God and His works. Look with me again at verse 5. It is not because of works we have done, and there's that word again, but but according to His own mercy that we are saved. According to here means because of. It is because of God's mercy. God is the originator. God is the cause of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And He is merciful to us. Now what does God's mercy mean to you? To me it means that God pities my miserable, sinful condition. That God takes pity upon me for my short temper. That God takes pity upon me for my lack of attention, for anger, for my desire of other people's things, for my desire of my own good name. You see, God takes pity upon me But it's a pity, it's a mercy that is active. It's not a there, there pat on the head. It's a I will change you kind of mercy. You see, Jesus is sent that we might be delivered from our condition of sin and misery. God changes us and what He does, part of the miracle of Christmas, is God takes His nature and makes it ours. Do you see that? God, who is good, who has goodness and loving kindness, takes that and places it upon us. Because you see, one of the fruits of the Spirit, of the work of Jesus in our lives, in Galatians chapter 5, is goodness. The very same word. God takes who He is, and He makes us like Him in Jesus. And then he tells us to walk in his nature. Paul says this in Colossians 3, verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. But again here, this word kindness is the same word that describes God in verse 4. Goodness. Do you want to be like God? then you need Christmas. Then you need Jesus. Because it is the work of Jesus Christ by grace that makes us like God. Now, why does God do this? Why does He take on such a cost? There's really only two explanations. The first respects us. The other respects Himself. The first is that He does it because He loves us. Paul says that in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, that God put His love upon us and redeemed us. 
And the second is that God wants for himself a people that Jesus Christ might be glorified, be magnified, and be all in all. This is why we are the recipients of grace. This grace comes to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? The goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior, it appeared. It came so that we could see it, talk about it, touch it, hear it. This is the gospel story. Just when we needed it most, Jesus Christ came. God entered into history and acted. God saved us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, Paul writes in 2 Timothy. How grand in scope is the gospel? Does the gospel take your breath away? It should. It has from the very beginnings. One of the very first letters that was ever written in the church an epistle to Diogenitus says this about the appearance of Jesus Christ. But when our unrighteousness was fulfilled and when it had been made perfectly clear that its wages, punishment and death, were to be expected, then the season arrived during which God had decided to reveal His goodness and power. Oh, the surpassing kindness and love of God. He did not hate us or reject us or bear a grudge against us. Instead, He was patient and forbearing. In His mercy, He took upon Himself our sins. He gave up His own Son as a ransom for us the Holy One for the lawless, the guiltless for the guilty, the just for the unjust, the incorruptible for the corruptible, the immortal for the mortal. That is who Jesus is. Do you know that grace that comes from Jesus? If you do, then you know, thirdly and finally, the blessing that comes from grace. That we are blessed by grace. We are blessed with change and we are blessed with hope. You see, when Jesus comes to us, He makes us different people. He makes us like Himself. Paul describes it using two metaphors here. He says, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, we are changed, we are cleansed from sin, and we are given a new life to live. We are washed clean. Now, you know what that looks like, don't you? Some of you are old enough to remember the old lava soap commercials. Now, kids, you don't know this, but a lava soap bar was something that would get off any kind of grease. And I think it was made of part lye, part sandpaper, and part rock. Because I think how it got, it seems, the dirt off was it actually took a layer of skin off with it. But it was the kind, you broke, you broke that out when your hands were so dirty, you knew regular soap wouldn't get them clean. And you wanted to be clean. 
I invite you this morning, this Christmas, to look into your heart and to see the lack of cleanliness that is there. And to think about the washing that comes of the regeneration from the work of God. You see, this word regeneration is another word that is intentional. You see, God makes us anew. He changes us by giving us a new heart, new desires. He makes us like Jesus. And then He gives us a new life to live. We are renewed in the power of the Spirit. It's an opportunity to start afresh. You get a do-over. Some of you are also old enough to remember that. Playing baseball in tight places. Someone hits a fly ball and it hits a tree branch and can't be caught. And what do you declare? Do over. You act like it's never happened. Because something got in the way. And you don't worry about whether it was a hit or it was caught. You just you move on with life. And that's what life is like in Christ. You leave behind you all of your pain, all of your misery, all of your sin, and you get a do-over in Jesus. You get to walk forward in newness of life with the provision of the Savior. And this makes you a blessing to others as well. But we're not just blessed with change. Because the last thing that we need to understand about Christmas is that Christmas is the beginning that points toward a hope. Paul says it this way, that we are to become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, Jesus came to provide hope for the world. Hope that the Lord is trustworthy. Paul emphasizes that in verse 8. He says, now this what I'm telling you, how you can be saved, how you can live, this one you can take to the bank. That's a free translation of, this is a trustworthy saying. Take it to the bank. God can be trusted. God can change. God can save in Jesus. And you can have hope of eternal life, a firm expectation that this world is not the end. That as you look back, especially during the times of Christmas, and you regret all the things you left undone, or all the things you didn't do as well as you could have, You need to remember that this world is not the end. That your life is not defined by what you have missed. It is defined by what is to come in Jesus Christ. You have hope of life with God Himself. You are an heir with Jesus, Paul tells you. What more could you want? You are a part of the family of God. You will have life forever with the One who saves. Did you know that all of this comes from Christmas? If you do, then you know the true joy of Christmas. It's a joy that only comes from Jesus. Nowhere else. And if you don't, perhaps this is the first time that you've thought about Christmas in these terms, then I invite you this morning to not go to presents, To not go to a turkey or a ham, but to go to Jesus. 
to find all of the joy that life can possibly bring. In Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, You are indeed glorious. There is none like You. We thank You, O Lord, that not only did You send Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, but we thank You, Lord, that You have told us His story. You did not need to give us Your Word. You did not need to give us this Gospel. You could have left us in darkness and night. And so we thank You, O Lord, and we ask that You would strengthen us, that You would make us Your ambassadors, that You would make us Your witnesses to take this light to others that they true too may know the great fulfillment that is found in Jesus Christ. We ask all of this in His mighty saving name. And all God's people said, Amen.